Hello, and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast in partnership with Ascension. Abiding Together is a place where you can find connection, rest, and encouragement on your journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Sister Miriam James, and every week I am joined by two of my dearest friends ever, Heather Kim and Michelle Benzinger. What you're going to find is we're three normal women who are on the journey, who laugh, we cry, we have all kinds of adventures, and our heart is to share our love of Christ with you, our friendship, and all the beautiful and broken places that we encounter. So you are most welcome to join us on this journey. Grab a cup of coffee, get settled in, and welcome home. Hello and welcome to our latest episode of the Abiding Together podcast. And we are, my dear friends, in the section two of our journey to the Chronicles of Narnia. So we're so excited about this. This has been an amazing journey so far. And so we, as usual, have been talking already for quite some time about all things good, true, and beautiful. And I'm actually in Minnesota right now where it is literally Narnia outside. I think it's like two degrees and uh, Christmas has already passed. So I'm like uh, lamenting. I hear it uh, with the kids. I'm like, I'm so there with them. But uh, Michelle, how are you today? I know you're still in Florida. So I don't, I see you don't have your winter hat on. So I'm guessing you might be transitioning someplace else. No, it's freezing today. It is below freezing and it is cold. (laughs) And, but I'm here with you and I already have my coffee and I'm good to go. I'm excited to be Mm -hmm. with you all and see your Mm -hmm. cute Mm -hmm. faces. And so our Heather's, Mm -hmm. um, dear face. Yeah. And sisters. Yeah. So lovely. Oh, oh man. It's just too early, Michelle. It's too early for this. (laughs) Seriously. I'm showing you serious love right now. So soak it up, Heather. Um, Heather, how are you, dear? Good. I got up early this morning to be with you all. It was like five something in the morning, still dark outside. But, uh, you know, we're recording on the day that there was a beautiful blood moon last night. So that was super cool. It was just beautiful where I where I am. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's lovely. Happy to be Mm -hmm. with you. Happy to be in this series. It's super Mm -hmm. exciting. And I love just the excitement um, of everybody that I'm seeing online and social media getting into the into the series with us. So it's super exciting to be on the journey together. It's true. And I've heard so many stories since, you know, we talked about launching this series of, of women, everybody from, you know, men and women, but saying everything from like, yeah, I haven't read that since I was in third grade and I'm getting out my same copy to like, I've never read that story. I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> so it's cute. Yeah. So everybody's welcome. Wherever you find yourself on that journey, you're most welcome. And so last week we talked about just the C.S. Lewis and his whole vision for the story. And we ta- talked about chapters one to four. So if you want to catch up on that, you're most welcome to do that. So today we're going to talk about uh, chapters five to eight and what happens to the kids as they find out that Lucy is telling the truth and they enter into Narnia itself. And so chapter five, the, the title of the chapter is Back on This Side of the Door. And so we were talking about that of how uh, Edmund had totally lied, right? We talked about all of us have an Edmund and all of us have a Lucy within us, like this battle for light and darkness. And so Edmund has been like this stinky little brother, this stinky brother really giving Lucy a hard time. And then, you know, lies and says that there was no such thing as Narnia. But then when they all end up in the wardrobe and in Narnia, they realize that Edmund was totally making it up, you know? So, Mm. yeah. So, but, um, first of all, he totally flats, he flat out denies it first. And so I love it says, and it wasn't after he does that, it says it was an unpleasant evening. Lucy was miserable <laughs> and Edmund was beginning to feel that his plan wasn't working as well as he had expected. And they, you know, call him like this mm. little beast. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, Heather, your thoughts about just kind of like this whole story of Edmund for whatever reason, not wanting to admit it and totally making everybody's life miserable until later on in the chapters, they find out that it's it, the Lucy speaking the truth. 
Yeah. You know, when you read it, you just go, oh, Edmund, he's just horrible. <laughs> like that moment when Peter and Susan look at him and go, Edmund, is it true what Lucy said? And he's like, nah, she was just making it up. And he just uh. like flat out lies. Like, you know, you just go, oh, that's just disgusting. Um, and then he says later, wow, he's trying to cover up and he realizes that his plan isn't working out so well. And I thought, oh, that sounds familiar. I've had that <laughs> feeling before. And I think we probably all have when we think a little deeper. We've all had moments where we've lied or betrayed somebody and we're trying to get something or maneuver a situation for our advantage or maybe just to cover up something that we don't want anybody to see. And then we have that sinking feeling when we realize, oh, my plan isn't working like this isn't going so well and we're sort of faced with our own treachery um, for a moment which is always hard those moments are hard in our life but I think necessary for the redemption that God desires in, in each of us what were your thoughts about that Michelle yeah I love the line where it says you don't think anything at all said Peter it's just spite you always like being beastly to anyone smaller than yourself we've Ugh. seen that at school before We've seen that at school before now and is, okay, so what is it in us? I was thinking, okay, there's an Edmund and a Lucy in each of us. What is it in us that wants to make people feel smaller than they are? You know, because mm. there is something about us that we don't like something about us. So we want others to feel badly or we want to reduce um, other people's identity, you know, and it goes back to how we see the Lord. It goes back to is a God of a God of abundance and goodness and there's enough for all of us. Or if someone else is being blessed or um, singled out or chosen, it takes away from us. You know, we feel like, okay, mm -hmm. it takes something. And, you know, part of me, just my heart goes out to Edmund because, I mean, he's totally like middle child syndrome. You know, like we, <laughs> you know, like we see you, Edmund. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> total. Brady Bunch, Jan, a total. Just that middle child syndrome. But I think, you know, in Edmund is that core wound of not being seen, not being known. And he's going to make other people feel small to make himself feel bigger. And um, mm -hmm. so just asking ourselves those deeper questions. Okay, why would I do do I do that to other people? And why is what is my um, inner motivation to even do that? Make other mm -hmm. people feel small, you know, Ugh. and just to see that, you know, and it's mm -hmm. a hard one because it's mm -hmm. in all of us. Mm -hmm. And we know? all do it. Yeah. And we mm -hmm. all do it in small and big ways and just mm -hmm. trying to root that out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that that's apparent to the witch from the very beginning. Exactly. And she, she speaks directly to that desire, um, but in the wrong way, right? Like she mm -hmm. promises things that she's never going to come through on. She tries to boost his ego and tell him that he's going to be the king and all of those things. Like she knows exactly where to go, which I think is very representative of the enemy. He knows exactly where mm -hmm. to go in our, in our hearts, like of what wound to trigger. That's so true. Um, yeah. And look at the bravery of Lucy later on in that, a couple of paragraphs down in that same passage after, you know, they say Peter's, I mean, Edmund's making people smaller than himself. She, you know, Lucy responds to says, I don't care what you think. And I don't care what you say. You can tell the professor, you can write to mother, you can do anything you like. I know I've met a fawn in there and I wish I'd stay there and you all are all beasts. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, she's just like, but this little, like, you know, once again, she may be little, but she is fierce. She is going to stick to her truth, you know, and she is going to stick oh, to what she God. believes because she knows it's true. And even though three, her older mm -hmm. siblings are telling her different, she is going to stay steadfast to that truth. And, you know, I, you know, that's probably why mm -hmm. she's one of my favorite heroines in uh, literature, Lucy, mm -hmm. just her littleness, mm -hmm. but her fierceness and believing mm -hmm. the goodness mm -hmm. of people. So I love that part. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Because yeah. you see that Peter and Susan are now in a quandary, right? Yeah. 
And so the quandary is then you take it to somebody else who can help them sort it out, which such is such a great tool in our own lives is that we're wrestling with something and we have two op- opposing things happening or we're not really sure what to believe that God sends people into our life. And I think Heather can talk about that, the people that can help us, which is so important and so necessary. And you see the professor as such a wise father figure, as such a wise uh, you know figure of wisdom in this story where Peter and uh, Susan begin to kind of state their case and is, you know, is Lucy, is she lying? Is she crazy? Like, what's the deal? And so they, they make some great points. So Heather, I'll let you go ahead and talk about that. It was really a good point that you made earlier. Yeah, I love their interaction with the professor. It's just fascinating because it's funny because they, they go to him knowing that this is, you know, or believing that this is all a lie. It's a made up thing. They're concerned about Lucy's mental health at this point. <laughs> They're like, is she a total nutter? Um, so they go to him to ask some questions and and he asks questions back to their presumptions. Like That's they're so saying, funny. I mean, it can't possibly be real. And he said, really? Oh, why not? You know, like he starts mm-hmm. to ask the deeper questions. And I think this is really um, a good allegory part about faith. And like when we disbelieve and what questions we need to ask and the presumptions that we make about God. And sometimes we need to ask a deeper question, um, which the professor does in a beautiful way. And that whole interaction really reminded me, and also you, sister, you said earlier about the C.S. Lewis proofs of God, of the existence mm-hmm. of God, the the lunatic mm-hmm. ri- liar or whatever the other part is. I don't Lord, yeah. yeah. Lord. Like the, it, it, people call it his trilemma. So either Jesus Christ, he's a liar Right. So he's totally lying of who he is and, and what his mission is on earth and, and what he's going to do. He's either lunatic, he's mentally ill, or he's really the Lord. <laughs> and really, that's kind of what the professor presents to Peter and Susan. And, you know, he really asked them to kind of rely on their own experience, too. Who's more trustworthy? Like, is it is Edmund more trustworthy or is it Lucy? And if Lucy's more trustworthy and she doesn't lie and she's clearly not mentally ill, then she must be telling the truth, even if it's hard for them to believe. And it's really great because, you know... Um, they talk about how, you know, if something's real, it has to be present the whole time. And it's, you know, that I think that Peter says it right there. He says, I think it's on page 47 in my version. He says, um, well, for one thing, if it was real, why doesn't everyone find this country every time they go into the wardrobe? I mean, there was nothing there when we looked. Even Lucy didn't pretend that there was. And the professor says, well, what does that have to do with it? Mm-hmm. And Peter says, well, sir, if things are real. They're there all the time. And then he says, are they? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Where he just begins to ask the question. He's like, really? Like, why are you making this presumption about mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Love that. And I love that he brings like logic in it, but he brings critical thinking into it. Like to really, how do you discern? Yes. How do you know? And not only do we need storytellers, like I think of the, Lord, the world always needs more storytellers, but we need story mm-hmm. listeners. People that listen to our story and ask the deeper questions of our story. And do you know this to be true? Why, you know, and really ask us the questions in our story. Where do you see the truth of God in your story? Where do you see that? And um, it's interesting. One of my kids, we were talking about a certain thing and they made a really quick judgment on another faith group. And I asked him, I said, well, why do you think that? Well, they, you know, did this. I said, well, how did they, they grow up? You know, so we were explaining how they grew up. I said, what were they told? Like, you were told this, but they were told that. So I said, do you see where their narrative comes from? So you need to ask them questions. You don't need to just assume they believe certain things are differently than you without asking the question and really listening for the answers. And I think the professor is a beautiful example of like, all right, how do you critically think with the Holy Spirit without having a critical heart? You know, like, um, and that that's the beauty, mm-hmm. I think, of just really listening to people's stories and listening, right, what narrative are they telling themselves? 
you know, and what mm-hmm. narrative are they telling them, um, themselves about God and how mm-hmm. he works in the story? And to go back to what you said, sister, the importance of asking someone with wisdom in our life. Yes. When we have questions and things that we can't figure out, I mean, this is why it's so important to have a good spiritual director, someone that you can trust, someone who is going to speak the truth and ask the deeper questions into the things that we're believing. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, we certainly, we certainly all need that. We need each other. And um, it's just very interesting, you know, that the the questions that professor poses to them and he doesn't rush to answer. And I think, you know, we were talking about earlier in our own private conversation, just about the dangers of say, like the mob mentality of social media, of like viral videos of things that, you know, in emotion force you to quote unquote, force you to make a decision to choose a side right now. And those things are usually dangerous. <laughs> and so like, that's that critical step of just with prudence waiting and seeing what is the fruit, what is the outcome before I rush to judgment, something kind of like Holy Spirit enlighten me. And that's what the, what the professor does mm-hmm. is because he plants these questions in the hearts of Peter and Susan that they continue to ponder. And then they use that rationale to, as they enter Narnia later, as we're going to see in the next chapter, as they all kind of go into the wardrobe together and they're all now in Narnia and they see the truth that helped them, um, see, see that Lucy was telling the truth. And then that's when Peter apologizes to her. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm sorry, you know, mm-hmm. which is, which is really the opposite of Edmund. Like oh, Edmund gosh, refuses yeah. to apologize. We see this dichotomy again between two characters where Edmund refuses to apologize. It's just the most painful thing to admit that he's wrong. And Peter is so quick to apologize. Like right away, he says, mm-hmm. will you forgive me, Lucy? I'm so sorry that mm-hmm. I, that mm-hmm. I didn't believe you, which is just beautiful to see his heart. Like Peter's heart is so mm. good. Yeah. So they go back through the wardrobe. They are running from the housekeeper and they go back through the wardrobe and all four enter into Narnia. And then they realize, oh, this is really true. And I love how even Susan says they put on the coats that are in the wardrobe because it's so cold there. And it just makes, when I was thinking to it, when they put on the uh, coats that were in the wardrobe and the coats are all so big, that all four of them are the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam, but you, they have to grow mm. into their royalty. Oh, We're not there good. yet. You know, so I was good. just thinking to myself, like, like, okay, God has given us these royal identities, but we have to grow spiritually and maturely, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally and some into our royal identities and who we are as, as the daughters of Eve or sons of Adam. And so um, Peter apologizes, and then they realize that the fawn is... Um, gone. The white witch mm-hmm. has got him. And then the Robin shows them to Woody Pass. And then we come across the cute character, <laughs> Mr. Beaver. So you know, <laughs> I love the whole Mr. Beaver mm-hmm. and the exchange. And then Mr. Beaver tells him about the great character, Aslan. Mm-hmm. And so I love the whole exchange about Aslan. And it says, um, Mr. Bieber says that they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. Mm-hmm. And then, sister, will you read the exchange yes. just when the, he introduces mm-hmm. Aslan to the four mm-hmm. children? So it says, and now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was more than, than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite differently. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. (laughs) I love that. I just love that. And what a 
powerful like revelation of the human heart when we hear about Jesus Christ as Lord in his name. So yeah, you guys mm-hmm. go for it. It's just, yeah, I love that on so many levels. Mm-hmm. There's It actually reminded me of this passage in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's number 2666, where it says, talking about Jesus's name, says his name is the only one that contains the presence that it signifies. Mm. which there's a lot of depth to that, but just in very simple terms, when we say the name of Jesus, mysteriously, it contains his entire presence. Mm. So when we say his name, there's power. Like we've heard that before. There's power in the name of Jesus. Michelle could break into song right now, but I'm just going to ask her to <laughs> We hold. were going to have her do that. There is power <laughs> in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I, uh, I love it. I, we I we could Michelle all just go there right now, but, but there yeah. is, there is power in the name of Jesus. It's the only name that contains the presence that it signifies, which I think can really change how we pray and how we encounter different situations. Like there's oftentimes where I'm like, I don't know what to pray. And I just say the name of Jesus because it is powerful to say his name. Oh, and this, this part of the book is just this little glimmer of of that reality you know it's really beautiful mm. and i love the even the beginning of that um it says you know and when he said his name aslan and he introduces his presence they say it happens sometimes it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand but in the dream it feels as if something enormous meaning either a terrifying one which turns the whole dream into a nightmare or else a lovely meaning too lovely to put in words which means the dream's so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream oh, again nice. you know and just like I love that mm-hmm. whole sense of wonder of what his name is and the whole sense of this who mm-hmm. is this Aslan mm-hmm. who is this being and I love Edmund isn't that just like our poor little Edmund in us that like, oh my gosh, like when our first reaction is fear and conviction, you know, like, okay, is God like, and that is where we see God as like, um, a rule master, you know, are the rights and the wrongs or like where we see Peter, where he grows courage, where when we hear the name of God, like it helps us grow into our identity, you know, and then where Susan, where she feels like the feelings that we can almost feel his presence where it's almost like a sacramental is like something you smell or eat. It's like very tangible, his presence. And then Lucy, just that anticipation, you know, like, oh my gosh, this holy, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Aslan, I mean, where you just feel like Christmas morning where, you know, oh, this is the Savior. This is my creator. This is my love, you know, mm-hmm. and just all the four mm-hmm. different reactions, mm-hmm. but how all four of those are in us, it's so you true. know, like, yeah. um, like how time sometimes when I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to pray. Oh my gosh, the Lord's going to convict me. Oh my gosh, I got to need to deal with this area that mm-hmm. I want to like, or I'm totally in Edmund mm-hmm. or, you know, there are other times where like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, like I can't wait to be in his presence. I can't wait to come to him you know, and just mm-hmm. how it relates to mm-hmm. our life and how we approach the Lord in his presence is just, I just loved it. You know, it just spoke mm-hmm. so beautifully mm-hmm. to that um, reality. And it's important to remember that Edmund isn't, you know, his sin and his failures. Absolutely. You know, I love that quote by John Paul II. Like we are not, we are not the sum of our failures. We are the sum of the father's love for us. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the evil in Edmund. Like Edmund has a part of him that has been taken hold of by the witch. Like when he ate that Turkish delight and Mr. Beaver talks about this a little bit later where he said, I could see it in his eyes. Like I could see that mm-hmm. something had happened to him. And, and that is what is responding to the name of Aslan is the part that his has been twisted. It's not who Edmund really mm-hmm. is. Like every human heart, 
heart um, or every heart at the name of Aslan, you know, is going to have this like powerful, positive reaction. But it's it's the darkness in Edmund that is trembling mm-hmm. when when he hears that name. And, and that is similar to the reality that, that we live in, the spiritual reality. The enemy trembles at the sound of the name of Jesus because it's powerful. And we know that in scripture, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And and yeah, it's, it's powerful. It's more powerful than we realize. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I love how, uh, I really love how the beaver is just evangelizing the kids <laughs> the process of this little, they're really making an adventure, but they're making an adventure in distance, but they're making an adventure in their heart and mind too. And by the end of that dinner, at, by the end of the dinner, you know, we see, you know, what happens and, you know, Edmund is missing and the rest of the kids, their hearts are open and they're ready to meet Aslan. They're ready for an adventure. And I just, I love, I just love the witness of the beaver, you know, it was, it's, that's the role of all of us as we introduce people to Christ, as they see, you know, you see the deep reverence of Aslan from the beaver. You just see the Aslan in his own heart and in his own heart, he shares with the kids and introduces them to the one to whom they belong the whole time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he points out that, um, they're asking about Mr. Tumnus because they realize that Mr. Tumnus, Lucy's little friend, who's the fawn has been taken by the white witch and been turned into stone and they want to go and save him. And Mr. Beaver reminds them and says to them, you know, there's nothing that you can do. Like there's nothing that you can do to save Mr. Tumnus. The best thing that you can do is go to Aslan because Aslan is the one who can save him. Aslan is the only one that can help us, which is always a good reminder for me, a recovering, you know, self-reliant person <laughs> like that, that mm-hmm. I can't do it all. You know, I'm not the one that is meant to save everybody around me and save my children and save my friends and save the people that I'm ministering to, but it's Jesus. Jesus is the only one and we need to run to him um, mm-hmm. when someone needs to be saved. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he says that even the beaver says that when he's speaking about Aslan to them, you know, he says, he'll put all to rights, as it says in the old rhyme in these parts, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Ugh. Mm, I absolutely love that whole poem. Yeah, you know, it's just such a, it's a powerful mm-hmm. anthem. Mm-hmm. And it's just a powerful reminder. Like even the whole imagery of shaking his mane, you know, just that he is constantly, yeah. you know, and a little bit before mm-hmm. that, they says, it's no good, it's no good son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver, no good you're trying of all people. But now that Aslan is on the move once again, and that God is always working, even when we can't see that he's working, he's always moving and he is always working. And I love Lucy's heart where she finds out that Mr. Thomas was turned to stone. And um, but she says, but Mr. Beaver said, Lucy, can't we? I mean, we must do something to save him. It's too dreadful. And it's all on my accounts. But I was just thinking to myself, how many people we walk around that are walking dead are turned to stone, you know, and do we have the heart of Lucy to go and with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of Jesus, with the power of Aslan, save them, you know, like we can't, like there's so many of us that we have people Mm -hmm. around us and even parts of ourselves, our hearts are turned to stone. So what is it to mean to be in a springtime? You know, like John Paul II constantly remind us that the church was headed to a new springtime. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean for us to live in a new springtime? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for us to be um, flesh and blood and not parts of us that are stone and come back to fullness of life? You know, and that's once again relying on um, Aslan and not relying on ourselves as Holy Spirit juniors, you know, really trusting him, mm-hmm. you know. But when he it goes back into when Beaver says, you know, 
Susan asked, who is Aslan? Asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood, but not often here, you understand. Never in time, never in my time of my father's time, but the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia. And they go, you know, and when they ask the question, is he safe? No, he is not safe, you know, but he is good. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is one of the most powerful lines in, uh, the line in which the wardrobe is he not, you know, he is not safe, but he is good. Um, because I think a lot of times we want the gospel to bring security and comfort and the gospel is anything else. It makes us uncomfortable and it makes us surrender, um, surrender our desires, surrender our control to something that is bigger than ourselves, that knows better than ourselves mm-hmm. because he is goodness mm-hmm. in his character. Yeah. That's, that's so true. Definitely. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I mean, I love that whole, just that whole kind of you know interchange between Mrs. Beaver and Mr. Beaver and Lucy, when she realizes that Aslan is not a man, like what you're saying. And, you know, she's like, oh, he's not safe. He, he's, not, he's, he's a lion. And she, you know, that's when, like you said, Michelle, but I, I just love the quote where Mr. Beaver says safe. He said, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I, I, think of, you know, for me in my life, you know, safety, as far as just having a story where I've had just huge violations in my story. I remember when I first read that, honestly, it was a bit troubling to me because I want Jesus to be safe. And I was kind of misunderstanding what they're really talking about here, because he's not talking about safety versus harm, because God will never harm us. But he's talking about safety as in beyond my control, that God is so far beyond my control. He's not in my control. He's not in my little box. And he is so good and his kindness is forever and his mercy and kindness leads us to repentance, but his goodness is overwhelming and it's unnerving. (laughs) And that's such a beautiful thing. So it's not about safety versus harm, but about safety as in control versus the magnanimity of God and all he wishes to do in our lives to break open our hearts to beauty and to reveal his beauty to us as well. Mm, You know, it's so funny. We are in a season right now where we are really stepping out in faith again, where like the Lord has given us a little reprieve to rest. And now he's like, okay, you've had your rest. You need to step out in faith. And, you know, he's just put some things in front of my husband and I. And last weekend we just um, were really stepping out in faith and a couple of things happened and I was just exhausted, you know, because it really just stretched me and it grew me and I'm really having to trust God and I can't do it on my own. And I looked at Chris, we were getting to bed and I look at him and I said, okay, I know Pope Benedict says, you know, we are made for greatness um, and not comfort, but I was like, I really think I'm made for comfort. You know, I was like, (laughs) this greatness stuff like really stretches me, you know, and it was just such overrated. Yeah, it is. And I was like, we were talking about it and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so Edmund. Like, give me my Turkish delight. Give me my comfort. Give me my, you know, desires and I'll make you don't cause me to grow. Don't cause me to step out Mm -hmm. in faith. Don't cause me to do things that where I can't see the ending. And, but yet it was so funny, even just in this last week of stepping out, there's something about that comes alive in me you know, that steps Mm -hmm. out in faith. There's something in me that has lying dormant and has come back to life in the last week, just being like, oh God, he's trustworthy and he is good. Mm -hmm. And isn't it fun to be on adventure with him? Like I forget how much fun it is to be on adventure with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And when I limit him to my own, um, plans or my own dreams, but he just blows those up and his plans are always so much better and it's risky and you don't know how it's going to turn out. But man, it's fun to be on adventure with him. 
you know, mm-hmm. it just is, you know. Well, and your heart would die if it was safe and boring, Michelle. Like as know, much as seriously. you say you want the comfort, like, yeah, yeah, we all know that that you need to live life on the edge uh, to be fully alive. And that's what God God wants for us. He wants us to be fully alive. And I agree with you, sister, like that quote about, well, he's not safe, but he's good, uh, can sometimes be a stumbling block for some people because they're like, well, I want, isn't God supposed to be safe? I want him to be safe. But you articulated that so well. And that was my exact thought as well, that it safety isn't about, you know, just like the, the comfort or, um, that we can rest there. It's about control. Like we, we want to be in control, but our hearts don't come alive when it's like that. You know, he's good. And to remember God's intention in all things that he is good. And a lot of this last part of the discourse just reminded me of uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 21, four to seven, where it says, speaking about God, because we need to remember we're talking about a fairy tale in Narnia, and then we're talking about reality. We're not talking about mm-hmm. two fairy tales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so here's the reality. Let's ground us back in the truth again. Mm-hmm. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Well, amen. <laughs> like, and mic drop, okay. Oh, I love that. That's very true. And that's, that's, that is the true story, and this is why... Dear friends, mm-hmm. I think this is why people get so excited about a story like Narnia, because all it is is an echo of the eternal reality of, of who, where we're going and where we came from and who we belong to, you know, but he makes all things new. He makes all things new. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Okay. So what, well, we're at, are we out of time? So we have to go to our one thing for the week. So Michelle, do you want to talk about your one thing, my dear? Um, your two one things or your three one things, whatever. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. And so <laughs> you're just so funny, sister. I just love you. Um, my one thing is a book, surprise, surprise, um, mm-hmm. that y'all are so surprised by that. But um, today, actually, we're recording on Martin Luther King's uh, holiday today and just the power of Martin Luther King. And um, just what he stood up for. And, um, you know, for me, we are a biracial family. So this is just really important to us. So there is a book by um, Brian Stevenson, and I'm trying to find the right name, just that I've read a couple times called Just Mercy. And um, if you have not seen Brian Stevenson or read his um, book or his TED Talk, he is just an amazing advocate uh, for racial unity and racial reconciliation. And um, he's just amazing. He actually addressed the USCCB, I think, last year, wow. you know, just talking about the power of racial reconciliation. And um, when I read his book, I was just blown away, you know, about justice and redemption and what his work does. And um, he's just amazing, you know, and it's once again, it's those conversations that we have to have. Um, that are harder and make us uncomfortable and they make us ask the deeper questions of, um, you know, just what our own prejudices are and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, 
Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson. Sister, what is your one thing? My one thing is I had a wonderful experience this last weekend of um, being uh, on the team at the Undone Women's Conference in Tallahassee, Florida. So I, I think I talked about it a few months ago, inviting people to come. And so for all of y'all that were there, you know, it was a really beautiful time. And so I just was really honored to partner with Carrie Daunt and, and her whole staff and Dr. Bob's that's Dr. Bob shoots daughter. And so just to be with the 200 women over the course of the weekend, talking about healing and mercy and forgiveness. And father Michael Nixon was our chap, our chaplain for the weekend. And, you know, just led us through beautiful adoration and some beautiful prayer. And so, um, I just want to give a shout out to all the women who came, whose hearts were so beautiful and just so open. And it was an honor to be with, with y'all. So, um, happy abiding together podcast, shout out to the lovely women of the undone conference. So it was great. <laughs> Heather, what about you? Awesome. Well, I had the pleasure of having dinner. Um, I had the CCO staff from Vancouver over at my house. So CCO stands for Catholic Christian Outreach. Um, they're a movement of evangelists on college campuses, and they have small faith groups and faith studies. And it's just the basic proclamation of the gospel mm -hmm. and discipleship and, and growing with people. And I just love their mission. I love what they do. It was wonderful to spend time with them on on Friday and have them over and hear their stories, hear about how they initially encountered God and why their hearts are on fire for, for mission. And they really are. Like, it's a very inspiring movement. And um, I'll just put up some of their information on our website, because if you're looking for some faith studies and different things to do, they, they have a wonderful faith study. It's really easy that you can get together in groups and do. So I'll put that information up for our mm -hmm. listeners. Awesome. Well, dear friends, as we continue our journey next week, we're going to start with chapter nine. So chapters nine to 12. So you can um, catch up if you want to, or just listen along. And yeah, just to invite you this week to, to really proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus and this adventure that he has you on. And yeah, that we look at our hearts and see where the children lie, you know, lie within us. And also um, this part of our heart that desires, you know, comfort and safety. And what is God saying to us? Because he's so far beyond our control and as Heather so beautifully read at the end, that he makes all things new. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? You can leave us a rating, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps us get the message out to as many people as possible. If you would like the show notes emailed to you, you can go to ascensionpress.com forward slash abiding together. That's ascensionpress.com forward slash abiding together and enter your email address click the subscribe button and the show notes will be on their way to you every week you can also find the show notes on the ascension press website as well as each episode on the itunes podcast app you'll find everything there you can join our private facebook group and join our community and just get in on everything that's going on we love to hear from you send us an email give us a shout out we are happy to be on the journey with you and until next week we will be abiding together Thank you so much.